0: Gonna pick up on if you were with us last week and just spent a little bit of time with us, where we began the season, the, the season, this little month uh, season for us here at Light City, the talking about toxic thoughts and gr- being able to grab an understanding of where those toxic thoughts come from. How do we as human beings have such a universal uh, experience with this thing called toxic thoughts? And you really don't have to hang around here very long to understand that those toxic thoughts are doing, uh, are creating more problems in our lives than just wrecking our moment and empowering us to sort of fall down on the ground and cry in a puddle of tears every time something goes wrong in our lives. It's also interrupting the mechanism of faith, the mechanism of creating the future that we want when we are constantly having these fall down and do the wrong thing moments in our lives and so really being uh, taking a month of our of our calendar year and focusing ourselves on the concept of toxic thoughts giving us the understanding of where they came from and not uh, you know I guess in a worldly sense if you've re- read any of the books on how to live a whole life and all that that are that are out there, you know that the the do it afraid concept is a very, very common idea. But we're not really going to talk about the do it afraid. I think that's what we've been doing all of our lives to some degree or measure, but that's not the solution to the problem. Being able to just somehow find a way to pick up after a catastrophe in my life and just keep on going, although that is noble and that is bold and that is courageous to do that, how many of you can guess that's not what we're talking about here when we recognize how destructive toxic toxic thoughts are to the future that we are about to live? I remember this was uh, you know, a problem with me when I first got saved. This was, oh, sometime near when Jesus was here. And uh, you know i'm I'm going around fighting a, fighting one fire and getting that fire under control, only to find out I wake up the next day and there's another fire I have to fight. and then, get that one sort of settled a wee bit, and the next day is another fire I have to fight, and then the next day is another, and I'm thinking, Lord, is that what my Christianity is going to be, just wandering around fighting fires every day? And, you know, as only the Lord in his, in his mercy and kindness can, can tell someone, he, you know, quietly told me, well, if you don't like fighting fires, then why don't you stop starting them? And that's not how I understood the world. That's not wasn't my paradigm at the time. My paradigm at the time was that you could actually get your world to stop having fires, not realizing that that's not how the process works. And so when we're discovering this concept of toxic thoughts, and as we've spent a couple of services now, unwrapping a little bit of why uh, the, the Bible tells us that, in fact, though toxic thoughts are... Uh, universal to human experience. They don't have to be. When Jesus was here, we began to understand that Jesus didn't have toxic thoughts. He didn't have the negative. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, that, you know, why is it that he didn't have those things? Why is it that he was able to respond to every single situation, and the Bible says, without sin, never making the wrong decision, not only externally, but well, we know from you know the understanding of the New Testament that if you even think it, you did it. If you even feel it, you did it. And it was like, does that mean then, under that equation, that not only did Jesus not punch that guy out in the natural, he didn't even think about punching that guy out. He didn't even feel the, the, the feeling of wanting to do that. And so it's like, okay, wait a minute. So This is something that is way off the charts for what most of us experience as part of our lives. How in the world did he do that? And we're going to discover some of that today. So to, re- to recap, what happens to us in our lives, spirit, soul, and body, uh, we're born with that. We're a, we're a, we're, we, are, we have two bodies. One exists in the natural realm and one exists in the spiritual realm. That's kind of the imagery that we had last week about the door that my soul kind of dwells in both zones. I'm able to receive input and, and, and stimulus from the natural realm through my five physical senses and begin to understand what's going on over here. And also, when I'm a child, I, can, I see all of this stuff too. I, can, I have a spiritual body. My soul is connected to that, just like my soul, however it is connected to my natural body. We're not really sure how that happens yet. But however that happens, it's also connected over here to these to the spiritual side of me picking up all of the spiritual truths that are over on this side my physical body picking up all the facts that are that are evident on this side the problem is is then we get to be this you know 7 to 10 years of age and we disconnect ourselves from the whole spiritual side of our lives spending then the rest of our lives trying to figure stuff out but only having sensual Inputs, touch, feel, taste, smell, see, and hear, that are coming from the natural. All I'm getting is the facts. And the facts are very limiting. The facts are 1 plus 1 equals 2 on this side. 1 plus 1 uh, <laughs> equals whatever you want it to equal over on this side. And that's where the problem comes in, that we become so locked over on this side of the world and then we're growing up through our, through our formative years now 10 to 20 or 21 or so when everybody grows a brain and then you all of a sudden have this time when you're figuring out are the things that I learned in the season of zero to 10 actually true in practical life that's what our teenage years are about we're testing, you probably noticed that with teenage, they're testing everything they were taught when they were growing up but they're doing so now all of us did this we're doing this when all we're seeing all we're perceiving all the data that we're getting is only coming from this natural realm my parents told me I was beautiful or handsome am I I'm going to look around through my high school experience, maybe grade seven and eight, and I'm going to see if I can figure out if I'm actually a beautiful person or not. And maybe you came to the conclusion that you're not. I was told that I could be and do anything. And so I'm thinking about being a, a business mogul, MBA, basketball star, uh, uh, rock star, and astronaut all at the same time and then when I'm done I'll turn 65 and run for the president of the United States (laughs) and I begin to discover through my school years and with my friends and on my basketball club and all of these things I begin to realize well actually you you uh, you can't be an NBA star if you're five foot four and so you realize well I wonder if I can or be or do anything and all of a sudden i'm wondering i'm seeing if i'm i I thought i was lovable everybody that was around me kept telling me how lovable and adorable i was and now i'm around people that i was hoping they would think i was lovable and adorable but it doesn't seem that that's how they're responding to me they said that i could have anything i want it seems to me the more i want the less i get I thought everybody was on my side. My mom was, my dad was, my uncles and aunts were. Everybody I knew showed up at Christmas with a present for me. And now I get to grade seven, and all of a sudden, nobody even cares that I exist. Never mind, I'm getting showered with presents and gifts. You see, all through my childhood years, everything was handed to me automatically. Now I'm realizing that that's not how it works. Stuff's not just going to be as I thought, just handed to me. You see, it all depends on what you were looking at at the time. And you can sort of see inside of that that I wonder whether the imagery and the ideas that we had when we were 0 to 10 were actually the right ones. And then when I got locked down into this world of just the facts... Everything going on in my soul now was beginning to be challenged. It was shaking me to the very core. You see, when Jesus was going through this same season, when Jesus was a teenager, how many of you know whether Jesus shut the door when he was 10? See, Jesus went through his whole life with the door open all the time. He was able to see the abundance of this realm and the shortage of this realm and understand the two of them simultaneously, able to bring what was over on this side to over on this side almost effortlessly. The same way you women can blow dry your hair in reverse as you look into a mirror. Where did you learn to do that? You see, what, you've, what he could do absolutely effortlessly, we struggle with because we didn't understand this side of our world. Jesus didn't have the same experience growing up that we did. And so when Jesus got older, he didn't have toxic thoughts like we did. Because all the toxic thoughts are actually coming from my interpretation of the world of abundance and infinite that I grew up with when I was 0 to 10. Come crashing down around my feet as I was going through the 10 to 20 season of my life. Testing whether in fact what I believed was actually true. And every one of them systematically, probably within six months or so, every single one of them had had such a traumatic experience that I no longer believed that stuff anymore. And I needed to adopt a different mentality towards the life that I was about to experience. I needed to, as perhaps we've said to one another, we just need to grow up. You see, Jesus never did that. Jesus never did grow up. And so what happens to me, as you, only, as you can imagine, is that we're going through life and, you know, our teenage years. And slowly but surely, we're having all of these negative experiences. And, and as we are grabbing all these negative experiences, we're just grabbing a little bit of baggage every day. It's no big deal because I can carry it. I can figure out how to make it all kind of work in my you know, generally going through all of the teenage years. It wasn't that hard, really. I got it kind of figured out. Don't need your help. And so as we go now, we're kind of going, and you can imagine as it would be kind of going through the airport. If any of you have done this kind of an experience going through an airport, if you've got grandchildren and all that kind of stuff, then you kind of know everything that I'm dealing with here is we've got all the baggage that we've just picked up a one little piece at a time. And we've got all this baggage and we're trying to, you know, how many of you know this experience? Have you done this in the airport before? Right? As you're sort of kicking it all down the road and we're going and all of a sudden we find out that the door, if you can open the door there for me, Sandy. Somebody got me and Sandy led me to the Lord. The door got open for me and I could see there's, a, there's something. I would really like to get over there into that infinite realm there a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get me and all of my baggage but how many of you can see what the problem is here? How many of you know that everybody, anybody ever stood outside of a hotel room with that silly little key in your hand trying to? See, the problem is, is that with all the baggage, we just can't seem to get through the door. Maybe we could see what's going on over there. And it's, oh, man, that looks really great. Get, in, get a little, you know, a glimpse of it every now and again. But trying to actually understand what's going on there trying to actually go over there and spend a little bit of time so that I can appreciate how real that world is compared to the world that I'm stuck in over here? Well, you got to get rid of the baggage. I think that's clear. All of the trauma that we have experienced going through all of these childish, sort of adolescent years when I'm testing and proving and trying now as I'm getting defeated almost at every turn, as my soul is getting upset seven times a day. And I'm out of that trying to redevelop my understanding of the world I actually live in because I can no longer see the whole world. I can only see this small portion that I live in. And it's not making any sense anymore. But I'm recognizing, you know, I got to try and get control of it all. I've got to try and grab on to something there's got to be some combination some calculation that is going to help me to understand how to move forward in this crazy world that i have now lost all perspective on i just can't seem to figure it out anymore as i'm going through these years i perceive that my doting parents have forsaken me they they told me this crazy thing about the book of job or no i meant that i needed to get a job And I needed to look after myself. I was betrayed by my selfish, self centered friends because they didn't understand that I was actually the center of the known universe. I was helpless against a cold and fierce world that was humiliating me at every turn. And no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't get this cowlick to sit down and get out of my way. Trauma at every turn. And those traumas were real, they were hurt. They were painful, they were humiliating. They were diminishing me and decreasing me. They were making me afraid because I was so, uh, uh, I just didn't expect any of this to happen. And when it started happening, I couldn't stop it from happening. It seemed like everywhere I went, I was experiencing something traumatic And my soul was grabbing onto these things. And with all of the the fierceness that I could muster on the inside of me, I was deciding that's never, that's never going to happen to me again. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to build a fortress and a moat around my life to prevent me from ever experiencing that stuff again. You see... The moat and the fortress that I build around me is, is the, the, that, those pieces of luggage. Jesus wants me to come out and go over there. Experience the world the way it really is. But I got to get out of all of this fear that I've created. All of these systems that I have built around my life to try and grab hold and get control of the world that I live in. You see, now these traumas, big and small, and my desperate desire to never experience them again, that subconsciously drive every perspective and decision that I make. Everything I see is now determined through the eyes of all of these traumatic experiences. I may have been raised one way, but now I've had to grow up. I've had to take responsibility for my life. I've I've had to get some control over the world around me. But by seizing that control, I have prevented myself from ever getting through to the other side. Let's see how. take a look how that happened. The problem with trauma is that they really happened. A lot of the trauma, well, in fact, that's maybe not exactly true. A lot of the trauma we experience now in our world is experienced through other people's lives. Even through movies and through experiences like that that are so real now that we can't really tell the difference. At least our subconscious can't. And so when somebody is humiliated in a movie or hurt in a movie or diminished somehow in a movie, we kind of think that that's real and we gain an extra life experience, as it were, wonderful as that is, from being exposed to those stories and being exposed to the emotion and the the thoughts of these things going on. But most of what we experienced was actually real. I can't come to you and say that your experiences were not real. I can't come and say, well, they didn't really hurt because we all know they do hurt. And so we're kind of stuck because our soul only knows these natural things. It only feels the pain of this side of the realm. And then somebody comes to us and they, they introduce us to Jesus and Jesus begins to talk in, in strangely familiar terms. He starts to tell us that we are lovable. He starts to tell us that we are infinite. He starts to tell us that, uh, well, we can do anything. He starts to tell us we can have anything and can be anything. and We are everything. But you see, our soul has already decided, yeah, we ain't, uh, you know, fool me once. Our soul has already decided, yeah, it don't work like that. I tried that, and it don't work. And so what happens? You can see where the baggage is coming from. You can see where the chains are. The chains are, even though we hear messages, we have have thoughts given to us from the other side, we're reticent to bring those in and make them part of how we make decisions. I mean, when you're you're going to church on Sunday, well, that's great, you know, bless the Lord, and... Blessed and highly favored, and, you know, God's with me, and God loves you. Yeah, okay, uh uh-huh. But then we got to go back to Monday. On Monday, we need this stuff. And what happens to us then is that we get glimpses of what's over there, and then we go back to our world of toxic thinking and fear and dread and trying to prevent the cool, cold, fierce world from destroying us or diminishing us even more when we hit to Monday again this week. And see, that's where Jesus came into the picture. If I can get you to jump into a few scriptures with me. As we go into this week, let's just take a look at this. In Hebrews chapter 4, because sometimes we can get a little bit religiously messed up about the whole concept of Jesus in our lives, and what did Jesus do when he came into our lives? What was his objective when he even came here? And in, in Hebrews chapter 4, if you go there with me, or if you want to make a note in your, in your books and check it out later, you see, when we started this series last week, we talked about last week's jump was what? That Jesus unleashes my praise. In this time, as we, as we jump, if you will, into this week, our jump this week is that Jesus understands my past. He understands my pain. Now listen to this scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. It's in verse 15. It says, For we, have a, we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. It's talking about Jesus that when he was on this planet, oh, we think that Jesus, you know, he was God. You know, as we see the picture soon of the baby lying in the manger, our picture is, is that Jesus as this little infant is holding his hands up in the air as he keeps the constellations of the universe all in place. That's what he's actually, no, he's, he's looking for mommy and breakfast. That's what he's doing right there because he's just a child. He's just an infant. And Jesus had to go through exactly the things we go through. Now, remember, he didn't have the shut the door experience, but he had all the other experiences of life. He, he understood all the pain, all the difficulty, all the stuff that exists over here in this limited, finite world. But it says this now, if you think about that, even as we take a look in Scripture, you know, Jesus was tempted. Mark 1 tells us he was tempted in the wilderness, that doesn't mean he was just taunted by the devil but paid no attention to him. No, it's talking about being tempted. That Jesus, just like you, in the middle of that experience, had a real desire to do what the devil said he should do. But somehow he was able to, to get above that. In, in Mark chapter, excuse me Matthew chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus had no place to lay his head. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't have a house. He did have a house, but not where he happened to be at this time. So Jesus didn't know where he was going to sleep that night. He didn't know where the food was going to come. He wasn't in his hometown. He wasn't next to his grocery store. He had to figure stuff out as he went. He had the same insecurities as you were, trying to to buffet his mind. How am I going to look after all these people? Where is all of this going to come from? Where are they going to sleep? Where are the wolves and the snakes? He had those same thoughts just like you had, but it didn't diminish him. It did not make him afraid. Jesus was disillusioned by his leaders when he went into the temple, remember, in those early days of his ministry, and he he freaked out because these people were not honoring God. They were not really the leaders that he thought they were, and he became disillusioned by that. In John chapter 4, it says he was tired from his journeys. In John chapter eleven, when he was, uh, you know, uh, encountering Lazarus, remember when Lazarus had died, and he experienced the emotions of all those people around him, and it says Jesus wept, not because he didn't know what was about to happen to Lazarus, but because he felt all of the pain of those people that were around him, gathering and mourning together. In Matthew chapter twenty-six, as Jesus was in the garden, it says his soul was overwhelmed even unto death. How many of you have had that feeling when you feel like your brain is going to fall out your ears? It's just over. You can't handle not another thing. Jesus knew what that felt like, to be confused, to be insecure, to have depression and shame and guilt and grief and regret and pain. He understood all that stuff. (laughs) But the writer of Hebrews tells us, yet without sin... Ah. Now, many of us would take that to mean, well, Jesus was the son of God. You know, none of this stuff bothered him. He was just on another plane, a whole different species of being. He, he's not like me. He wasn't experiencing it the same way that I did. To him, it was like just a, a flood. No, it wasn't. He experienced it just like we did. But it said he was able to experience it without experiencing the trauma without experiencing it in such a way that it would change his understanding of the world around him, simply because he could understand how the infinite realm affected the situation that he was dealing with in the finite realm. I think I said this last time we were together on Sunday, you know, like imagine Bruce Wayne making a deal and they needed $300 to to set the deal in place. That wouldn't bother Bruce Wayne. He would just say, wait a minute, I might not have it in my pocket, but hang on, I'll be right back. He had a different way of experiencing what you and I might see as a trauma in that moment. He knew that there was an infinite supply right over here. It didn't have to bother. It wasn't a trauma to him. And what it tells us as we go through that, as we accept the fact that, wait a minute, Jesus, you understand what this feels like. You were here. You did this, you experienced exactly the same thing that I experienced, but you understood it differently. You saw it differently than I'm seeing it right now. And see, when we do that, we can respond to negative, limited, fearful, what would perhaps be fearful to the next person. We can experience it in such a way that our thoughts our emotions, our actions and deeds as a response to that are completely righteous. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. What, means it, what it means is that I can uh, uh, respond to it in a completely different way. Yes. Okay, you Do you remember when we started out last week and we played this wonderful game called Simon Says? How many of you want to play it one more time really quickly? Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ear. Okay, go ahead and slap your neighbor. Now, when you learned that game, that game, okay, wait. Do we need a a forgiveness moment here? Do we need to pray? When we all played that game, when we were children, we were learning a very critical uh, uh, tool to living life in an enormously successful way. All I need to be able to do is differentiate to whether I'm supposed to respond to something or whether I'm not. Do I have the power to not slap my neighbor even though I was told to slap my neighbor? You see, what we can do in that moment is that even though we are having this experience, even though it's kind of rocking us right now, and even though I really do desire to slap my neighbor, I cannot do that. I can grab a hold of that moment and realize, wait a minute, I don't think this is how Jesus would have responded to this situation. Matter of fact, I know he was in this situation many times. I didn't have the sin of the world put upon me. (laughs) I may feel a bit overwhelmed right now, but I don't know if I get all the way to the sin of the world put upon me. So I know that even in this moment, I really feel like slapping my neighbor, but I cannot do that. I can grab hold of that moment and realize in that split-second decision to just not respond. You know, you did that calculating whether I said Simon says or not. There was enough time in hearing the command to slap your neighbor to realize, I don't think he said Simon says. Well, that's exactly the same thing is that when i look at the situations that i'm dealing with in my life i have a moment to consider am i responding to this situation because of the infinite realm or am i just locked and trapped in perceiving it through the finite realm am i responding to a limitation is there a boundary am i scared am i dreadful about what is about to happen? Am I starting to think just about myself or can I still think about other people? That's the Simon Says part. Because if I'm doing those, it's okay if I'm doing those things. It's cool. I, we get it. I, I get the baggage. I, I understand. But our victory is going to come when we can stop it just like we did as we were winding up to slap our neighbor. And I said, wait a minute, he didn't say, Simon says. And I stopped everything right in its tracks. I so see what that gives us the power to do then is we get to go back and say, wait a minute now. So Jesus, when you were, I, I don't understand how to solve this problem. My cell phone bill is $400 and all I got is 60 bucks. It sure looks like I'm in a pro- finite problem. Somehow, Jesus, when you face this problem, When you you were sitting there and 20,000 people were here and they were looking for lunch and all you had was a couple of sardines and a bun. How did you solve that problem? What did you do, Jesus? Because what Jesus did prevented him from getting a traumatic experience right there. Or if he had already had a traumatic experience, he was beginning to rewrite the one that he had. And when we do that, just that split second, just like you did right there when I said Simon says, or I didn't rather say Simon says, in that nanosecond, all we needed to do was say, Jesus, when you were here, what did you see? See, Jesus was showing us that there was a way to understand adversity that did not lead to toxic thoughts and toxic emotions and traumatic uh, imprinting Mm -hmm. that was then going to establish those toxic thoughts and emotions for the rest of my natural life. All based on a small experience. You see, Jesus was able to see the invisible. I need these bags out of the way. I literally and figuratively. I need these bags out of the way In order for me to really see. Not that this realm just exists. It exists in every Disney movie. But that don't make it real. You see, when Jesus was seeing it, he wasn't seeing it as some imaginary fairy tale. He was seeing it as though it was real. All he needed to do was get it from this side, as we talked about on Wednesday, to come over to this side. You see, when we're stuck on the baggage side, you know, when the doctor's report comes, when the bank manager calls, when you get that lawyer letter in the mail, it does, it sure seems like what's on this side is real. And what's on that side is imaginary in the sense that it's not real. I don't think that's how Jesus saw it. Jesus was able to see that what was on that side was more real than what was on this side. We know that even in the physics world that everything on this side is temporal. It's diminishing. It's fading away. But everything on that side is here forever. It's The Bible calls eternal, or what we're referring to it right now as we're building this together. It's infinite. It just goes on forever and ever and ever in every single direction. And so for each one of us now as we sit here and we consider we're not 10. Or if you are 10, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so hopeful for the 10s. But maybe you're not 10 anymore. Maybe I got a few miles on me. Can I tell you something? I was, Tina and I, we, we, I have just certain movies. I probably watched them 50 times. And one of those movies that we watched the other night was, if you remember the movie, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance. If you have not seen that, if you have not seen that movie, I, yes. I enormously recommend it to you, especially right now. It would be a beautiful thing for you to consider watching. I don't even know where we were. Amazon, I think, was, has it on their list. There's this beautiful point in this movie. You know, it's a, dif- it's a difficult, very, I, I'm not going to tell you the story to spoil it for you, but there's this moment in the movie where he's the, the, the hero of the story is coming to this intersectional moment when he has to decide what do you believe. Do you believe in the world as it is or do you believe in the world as it should be? And he refers back to, him. he said, you know what, it's, he, he's talking to the, one of the other uh, act, actors. And he said, oh, it was just so long ago. And the other actress uh, looks to him and says, no, it was just a moment ago. And that was such a powerful scene to me because I recognize that even though we're here today and we're talking about this realm as the infinite realm, can I tell you what, it's, what the Bible calls it? It calls it the eternal realm. When the rich young ruler was coming to Jesus and he says, how might I have eternal life? He wasn't saying, how do I get to heaven after a long and miserable life here? He was saying, can I tell you something? Is there a way that I can get to the eternal life, to the eternal realm? Because he saw in Jesus that he was going somewhere, being somewhere, accessing power that did not exist over here. He knew he was bringing something from somewhere. And the wonderful part about the eternal realm is each one of us were created from the very beginning to be eternal beings. You have existed since before the world began. What the beautiful part about our existence is, is that even though the trauma in your life may have happened 50 years ago, it may have happened so long ago that you can hardly remember the root of it or the names of the people involved, but can I tell you something? It was only a moment ago that you are able to, through your imagination, through your mind, revisit an experience, a traumatic experience in your life like it was just yesterday, Like it hadn't had the power yet to cement itself into concrete in your heart, never to be moved again. Each one of us, just like right now, you could take a moment and say, I'm not going to slap my neighbor. I'm going to understand the situation just a little bit differently than I had thought I understood it. And I'm going to go from here, not repeating the problem again. Can I tell you something? You can go right back to the beginning and fix something that happened A century ago. And you can do it in your mind. As you go back to that experience. I can remember I was working with a fellow. This is many, many years ago now. Gosh, this has to be 15 years ago now. Probably the one that stuck in my mind the most was... This person that I was working with for a, a few weeks, he was just having terrible anger problems and it was creating all kinds of problems as you could imagine in his marriage and his work and all of these type of things because the guy was just explosive. Recognized the problem, completely saw it, owned it himself, he got it, this is my problem, I need help with this thing. And so we were working through some things one day and, and you know, we just we kind of did what I've sort of explained to you here today. As a, I, I invited him to go back and, you know, ask the Lord, you know, Jesus, where did this all start? I didn't ever decided one day that I was going to become an angry, rageful person that was going to destroy my life. I never did that. Where did it all start? And it was an amazing experience for him. You know, the Lord took him back to a schoolyard experience. He was no more than 9, 10, 11, 12 years old at the time. And he was just doing his thing, you know, just enjoying life. It was before school had started, and he was out in the, in the yard playing. And all of a sudden, as he turned around, he saw this guy come from the side of the, around the side of the building, walked right over to him, and pounded him one, and then knocked him out right there on the, on the schoolyard. From that moment forward, that guy decided that he hated that man, boy. And that moment he decided... Nobody was ever going to do that to me again. And the very seat of his rage, he could feel it as he spent time going back to that memory. And the same rage that he felt that day, he could experience it back in that memory as he was laying on the ground there, having been skullcocked by that guy. He did what I'm suggesting that you do, just... Ask Jesus. Jesus, if this was you, surely you would have responded exactly the same way. Maybe a few thunderbolts would have been involved, but you would have done exactly the same thing I did. And in fact, Jesus said no. He said, can we just take a moment and back up the time frame just a wee bit? And all of a sudden, as I was working with this person, just chatting this thing through, he could tell in his mind's eye that the Lord took him to the front of the school building. And pulling up into the front of the school building was this pickup truck, and there was the father and this boy sitting in the pickup truck, and just as the boy was about to leave, his father backhanded him and told him that he better smarten up. And the kid was so full of anger that he stormed into the backyard of that schoolyard and found the very first person he could find and just pounded him. The miracle of that moment was that I was sitting with this grown man, probably a similar age as I was. I could see on his face that the rage that he felt against that boy had gone. He now understood what had really happened. That boy wasn't trying to hurt him. That boy was just hurting himself. It didn't mean that he was weak and vulnerable. It didn't mean that he was alone. It didn't mean that he would have to protect himself from every other human being that existed on the planet for all eternity. It didn't mean any of those things. It meant that he had the moment right there to love somebody that appeared to be completely unlovable. He had the opportunity to reach out to this person who was in so much pain that he inflicted that pain on another innocent human being. You see, what Jesus can do is that he can show you how to see every one of the traumatic experiences in your life that we are so connected to that we can't get through the door. And he can unlock our soul. He can reframe, if you will, those moments that we experienced, that we were so convinced that we could see 360 degrees. But in fact, we could only see a very, sliv- a very small sliver of what was really happening. And when we can see like Jesus could see, when we could get his perspective in our traumatic moment, all of a sudden, everything changes. We're not talking about that wound being erased from your memory. We're talking about that wound getting healed, no longer producing fear, no longer producing dread, no longer producing selfishness in our lives so that each one of us, when the opportunity comes before lunch tomorrow for us to respond to something in this finite natural world, that we can just stop for a moment and say, wait a minute, he didn't say, Simon says. I can slip over here for a moment and say, you know what, Jesus, can you help me to understand the nature of the situation that I'm facing right now? Can you help me to understand where are the roots of my automatically thinking that I'm going to run out of money, that I'm going to die young, that nobody loves me? that I'm going to experience pain and torment, that I'm going to be betrayed, that I'm going to end up alone. Can you tell me where I first learned those finite ways of thinking? And can you help me to unlock them so that the next time something like this happens, I just automatically think about it in terms of the infinite, in terms of the eternal realm? Then I like Jesus, can have experiences over here, certainly struggles, certainly difficulties. But instead of having those difficulties diminish me and limit me, I can experience that difficulty, grab the thing that I need, draw it into this realm and solve the problem of the difficulty or the lack or the shortage or the difficulty or the loneliness or the fear all of a sudden my consciousness is no longer trying to or letting me be diminished by that experience in fact what has happened to me is that i have taken the little pie and i've made it just a little bit bigger not only have i experienced it but i have become as conan says even stronger because of it because what did i learn I've learned even in the smallest amount that the infinite realm is even more real than the finite one. Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I know I need to unlock some of the baggage that's trying to tell me that the infinite realm is just imaginary, that the invisible is just that. It's invisible. I know I only think like that because of the limits, because of the the pain, pain, because of the trauma trauma that I've experienced experienced. as I tried to figure out this crazy world we live in. in. Heavenly Father, Father, I really need your help. I need need you to unlock unlock. my insistence that this natural world is is all there is. Is is. I I know you created the heavens, the heavens, and the earth. And the earth. You, created you created the, visi- the invisible, invisible and the visible. In the visible. the invisible, invisible is just as real, invisible. if not more, so, not more so, than this natural realm. This natural realm. Heavenly Father, Heavenly I unlock my heart. Unlock. Teach me, Teach me. How, Jesus how Jesus could go through this natural experience, natural experience. And, never and never see the limits Never see the difficulties, never see the trauma, except as it presented an opportunity for the infinite realm to increase the finite realm. In Jesus' name.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward in Jesus name. Amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.